With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. Four people in a room giving their opinions on Fulham FC that you'll inevitably disagree with. My name's Sammy James. Thank you very much for listening. And on a weekend where Watford's Anthony Joshua dealt Alexander Povetkin a knockout blow, his hometown side failed to do the same against Fulham on Saturday when ultimately they probably should have, shouldn't they? Fulham, though, like a wily, experienced pro, stumbled around the ring until our very own Alexander popped up with a timely jab to tie the affair. With me tonight, I have three ringleaders of the Fulhamish world, a man who rarely pulls his punches on the podcast, Don Betts. Hello, hello. The man who used to be an undercard, but is very much a main event these days, Drew Heatley. Thank you, hello. And finally, a man who loves a bob and weave, Jack Collins. Yeah, yeah, really nice. Hello, listeners, how are we? Generally around the pubs of Chiswick. Yeah, usually. Actually, of Ealing. Ealing is my stomping. Oh, sorry, you know the rules. <laughs> South London only, mate. Yeah, Dom doesn't come north of the river only for games. Then he ducks Yeah, that's, that's the first north of the river I go. <laughs> then he bobs and weaves back down south again. Yeah, exactly. South where the power at. Well, uh, loads to discuss after Fulham's draw against Watford. We'll be looking forward to Millwall in the Carabao Cup tomorrow. Uh, Drew Heatley has a particular love letter uh, to write to the infamous competition and a load of your questions coming at the end of the show as well. First, let's do some three-word reviews. Jack Collins is back on the buttons. I am indeed. There were some really good ones. Chambers of Horrors by Will Brooks has been oh. the one you know getting most... Love Most love. That. 24 yeah. likes on a reply is a serious numbers. And that's, I think, without Fulhamish promoting it as well. Yeah, we just left it. We didn't do any promotion, really, which is probably not quite ideal. But well done, Will, because that's a cracking tweet. Yeah. Uh, a couple more. I, the Cruel Truth says Angisa should start. Colm Bugler with more work, son. Like more M A W. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah, I yeah. thought was excellent. Uh, Oscar said, Our Serbian saviour. More people. Ian Glenn here saying Zambo must start as well. Big Tizzle, Angisa must start. There's a lot of those kind of things. Ryan Burns says calling Tim Ream, which I thought was was quite clever. But my favourite of them all was defensive deja vu. Ah, oh, very nice. I'm I'm upset my dad's didn't get in there. It's only his second ever tweet. Poor pedestrian passing from Clive yeah. James. At Clive James 56. Give there my dad are. a follow. He's got four followers at the moment. And one of them is Tyrese Francois. Yeah, really random. <laughs> well, I don't know why Tyrese Francois follows my dad. Moving and shaking already. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Day one. Nice. <laughs> Social influencer. <laughs> yeah, basically. Might as well get him an Instagram handle now and give him a blue tick. Uh, for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Uh, and please do give us uh, a podcast rating either on Apple Podcasts or if you don't use Apple, like myself, if you're an Android convert, uh, go on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fulhamish and give us a review there. Just give us... Ultimately, we'd like five stars. Isn't there a Google podcast now? Is that like a thing? There is a Google podcast. I don't think you can rate things on there, though. Well, is, is Classic it just, Google. Is it just miles a, behind is it, just a pla- is it just a platform to host podcasts? Is that what it is yeah, now? I think so. Who knows? Podcasts are weird. But anyway, if you can give us a review on anything that you can give us a review on, uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, we had an email here from Andy Richardson. He watched two games today. 
well, I'd assume this was Saturday, involving green outfield strips, us versus Watford and Brighton versus Spurs. Please can we just ban teams wearing predominantly full green strips? You can't bloody see them. It was worse on TV. The Brighton game was nearly impossible to watch. Just say no to all green strips unless you play on yellow grass. Drew Heatley, your thoughts? I agree with that. I'm, I said on uh, full time after the final whistle on Saturday that uh, they looked like a team of goalkeepers, and they did. It's ridiculous for colour for an away kit. I know we had our puke green one back in the day, but that, at least that was a that was banger of a kit. Like that was Harrods green as well. It's very different. Oh, I was going back in time even further. The uh, the old Demon Internet one. Yeah, oh, I've seen got the shirt Demon, yeah. yeah, the old classic puke green one. That was. Uh, I think we're being very harsh here to green kits. No, but I don't understand why they can't wear the home kit. How does yellow clash with white? <laughs> well, we, they, we used to play them, and then they played yellow. At the Tell you what, I don't like countries that play. With green kits, no, Jack Collins. Your yeah, we ate a lot like, of them. Disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just you know, pure discrimination against me on the podcast. Uh, Jack, two changes are on Saturday. Chambers and Fossumensa came in for Adoy and Cyrus Christie. Uh, defensively, though, on Saturday, especially in the first half, we were a bit all over the place. Hapless, I think. Sometimes someone said on on one of the reviews, and that kind of sums it up a little bit. I think. Look, there were there were plenty of positives to take out of the game, but if we're going to start with the first half. Things started badly and, you know, they didn't get worse because they couldn't have got much worse. But they didn't get much better. And, you know, it's actually Seri that loses the ball outside the box for, for their goal, which, you know, came even faster than Leroy Sane's one last weekend, which I didn't actually think was possibly, you know, even plausible as an yeah. idea. But look, we, we started badly again. And that's that's obviously massive cause for concern. Defensively, we were all over the shop to begin with. And whether that's because we keep chopping and changing or because you know of a larger reason and you know some of these defenders don't necessarily fit the system you know that's not for for, for right now to, to decide but at the moment we need to work what's going on there and work it out fast dom it was the goal that would be a hallmark of a defense that just doesn't know how to play with each other Cess for me gets caught massively ball watching and the ball falls to Andre Gray and he's just not going to miss a chance like that but this defence to, to concede a goal like that for me is really concerning well yeah I don't, my issue is if you just pick your defence and stick with it you can't just keep chopping and changing because oh, one slight thing's gone wrong I just I, especially in the game we'll speak about it later but in the game tomorrow I think we just have to play a centre partnership which we're going to use to go forward because a defensive partnership can't work unless they play more and more games together we saw that over the last two seasons where we, we've been chopping and changing then we found a system that works obviously when we first started off playing really well in 15-16 when you obviously had Callas and Maddell they started off really really well and they were playing together and they built this partnership up then last season we had Reem and Adoy you can't just build a defensive partnership overnight you're playing Mawson predominantly on the right hand side where he hasn't played in quite a few years because playing on the left-hand side for Swansea City uh, and obviously Tim Ream's not back and he, you miss his leadership qualities and he has that recognition with Bernelli, has that recognition with Adoy. he'll know Christie from training I think there's just a lack of cohesion and I, th- I, yeah, I just think we have to find our centre-back partnership to stick with it There is something to be said look, last week we called for Adoy to, to be dropped out of the side there, you know, we made a point of saying we're not necessarily sure that Dennis Adoy should be our starting centre-back he's come in second half there changed the game Ben Fulham's, you know probably best player in that half I think Vieto probably shades it overall for me but Adoy in that in that second half especially was phenomenal and uh, and there has to be you know we asked for changes we got the changes the changes didn't work so so you know where do you stop I'm not saying well I mean I would I don't I don't I think when you have LaMarchon available there's no point to play Chambers I know they've played together but I've never seen each other before <laughs> so I think who are you Callum yeah it's just like they've played <laughs> they could, it didn't look like they've played together before and I think for me I always want a right foot and a left foot centre back it was that link uh, 
Mawson and uh, Chambers playing into, for the England and 21s had no idea. I, I didn't know until after the game when you told me they did not look like they knew each other at all. And we talk a lot about cohesion. We need we need to build that cohesion because if you do, the consistency will follow that and we just need to start that. The, the back four, whatever we're going to play against Everton, in total needs to start against against Millwall tomorrow. It should some credit though be given to Watford who pressed us impeccably. They stopped us playing our game and really knew how to unsettle our tactics. As poor as I think we were and some of them were unforced errors, they they just knew how to press our buttons. Yeah, but of course, but we, we, there are going to be better teams we play than Watford this year and there are going to be teams that know how to press higher up and and faster and make more of those mistakes. We need to we need to cut them out and and that's the kind of overarching argument isn't it is yes you give them credit for doing things they did well but at the same time like you say there were unforced errors in there there were defensive mishaps all over the place we should have conceded a penalty we should have been down to 10 men those are things that are you know worrying in the longer kind of haul and it's not just about how good Watford are that's got to be down to taking some responsibility yourselves as well. Well, yeah, Dom, I mean, Fulham should have been way more than one down going into the break. Dini, Cabasele, Andre Gray all missed golden chances. And as I mentioned, some of those were, were not from great Watford play. Well, yeah, I spoke to quite, uh, quite a few Watford fans over the last couple of days and they were like, how on earth have you got back into the game? Because I said it, I said it at half-time, they should have been 3-0 up. Not me, yeah, yeah, 100%. Because what happened, Watford may not necessarily had a lot of chances, but they had a lot of chances that could have created golden chances for them where they sort of just miss the final ball even in the second half that happened so we, we were actually quite lucky in I thought that. Pereira was quite wasteful actually yes in, in, in the respect that yeah as I said they got the ball into the right areas they just didn't find, get that final ball or the ball before the final ball and if they got that we w- would have been 3-0 down at half time probably and, I'm, I'm just a bit and of I don't think it would have been result. undeserved had it been no, 3-0 no, I don't well, think we could have had well, any I, complaints I went down from earliest part of the season 28 minutes <laughs> crikey 28 <laughs> minutes I think. I think and it might have been early in the game because I left 28 on my phone so it could when the actual clock was probably behind, but yeah, I was like, and I wasn't the first one down there. So <laughs> I think what was mo- most worrying as well in the first half is you talk about unforced errors and, and the like. It was a sense of panic every time Watford are on the attack. It wasn't just it wasn't just making making mistakes when when they're on the when they're on the on the attack. It was that sort of sense of panic that we had that was uh, that was most worrying for me. But we were poor when uh, Watford were going forward. But also, I did think that Fulham looked quite dangerous even in the first half. When we were attacking, I thought that I thought the game was quite open and quite stretched and trying to take some positives out of the first half. I thought attacking, especially through Vieto, we did look quite dangerous. Well, yeah, there was that one chance where Vieto sort of swung the ball into the box. And was it Scherler who missed it? No, Mitrovic was it Mitrovic? Yeah, taken out. It's, it was, and, yeah, it's not a penalty. No, it's not because he's not going to get to the ball. Yeah, but so, Vieto should score. Yes, no. Also, I'm pretty sure well, Scherler, as I mentioned, is just on the edge of the box. Yeah, he is. He's just and, and he there. could just be laid off to passing back because it's a poor decision in the end from Vieto he should either shoot or lay it off the Schurler Mitrovic is not the best option there but I think yeah our only options or outlet through the first half was Luciano Vieto and I didn't really well, in a lot of the game really and I didn't really I didn't really see much else and we didn't we, we just looked lacklustre all over the pitch so yes we were poor defensively but the midfield again didn't help that no. yeah the defence I think is the key issue after the game but in midfield as well, we were being overrun and there just did look like a, an imbalance. We were struggling to cope with kind of Watford's three lines of two. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got the likes of Ducore, you've got the likes of Kapuwe, you've got Will Hughes. Ducore would look brilliant. Yeah, and I mean, yes, they've got their midfield, but it surely... I know Slav's not one to change his system about. You know, we kind of did in the second half, which I think we'll get we'll get into shortly. And I think we just didn't. Ma- we, the system we played was just totally fell into Watford's hands because we didn't really have 
any, any of the legs we needed. Yes, we got Johansson, but he's it's a championship player, and Anguissa should should have should have started. There's no two ways about it because Anguissa, yeah. whenever he's come on, has looked quality. You don't yeah. spend twenty thirty million pound on a key cog in a Europa League final team for <laughs> to just for him to sit on the bench. So I think yeah, I think we called for changes, but not those changes. And I th- so I th- and I think yeah, we just started the game all wrong, and that just affected the players' heads. Drew, Tim, Timothy Fossey-Mensa, lucky to stay on the pitch after his challenge with Deeney. He later apologised on Twitter, by the way, and Deeney accepted the apology, which I just thought overall was a very nice resolution to the whole affair. Yeah. I think I think there'd be no arguments whatsoever that it was it was a red card. But it's funny, you know, he's protected by the ref uh, giving him a yellow on this instance. And, yeah, we should be pretty thankful for that because, actually, I thought that, although for, if everything is said about the defence, I still uh, quite impressed with Fossi Mensah going forward. And, you know, I think, yeah, it was a bit of a... It was definitely a red, but, um, you know, we're, we're happy that we still sort of keep him also, for the next game. he should have had a yellow card before this. The, oh, yeah, he definitely the, the, should the, have. There was, yeah, a, there was yeah. a challenge about five five minutes earlier, or whatever it was. When he t- I can't remember who he takes out. Is it Pereira? Mm-hmm. And it, I was like, that is that's a definite yellow card. And then the next one is, and what I don't understand with the next one is, he's given him a yellow card, so he's seen the challenge. But they were saying he's partially obstructed by uh, somebody in the middle, and I can't remember who it was. But there was a player in the way of the ref's sight, so I don't think he saw the the studs on the shin, as it were. Possibly, possibly not. But I think, yeah, I don't understand how he's still on the pitch. Not because, yes, that's probably a red card offence but also he should have got a yellow card like five minutes before yeah. well he's a lucky boy although he did play well I thought apart from those yeah. incidents on Saturday throughout the game and was unlucky not to bring us into the back into the game on a few occasions there was one in the second half where he danced into the box uh, down on the right byline and it, it, it was marvellous and actually just unlucky that Sessegnon couldn't uh, untangle his feet I think and I think in a game where our passing particularly in the first half was absolutely woeful uh, he was he, he found a few found a good, few good passes himself so I, I think he was far from uh, terrible even though you know we've we've said a lot about the defence already that would have been a bit of a nightmare for us as well if we'd have lost him for three games mm. yeah Although, I know that Cyrus Christie is a good backup but I think we need, we, need like this, we need his first team defence to no, start of course, gelling of course I do think they're kind of like for like but I think Fossi Mensa offers more going forward. Um, and there was a lot more moaning than usual, I thought, from the hammy end against the referee. And I think he was getting a, quite a lot of the smaller decisions not quite right. And there was a few times that he was being a bit pernickety. But ultimately, I think two big decisions very much went our way. Firstly, the Fossi Mensa one, which we've just mentioned. And then the, the penalty claim, uh, Chambers on Will Hughes. I mean, I had a great eyeline of it from H4. And I remember saying to my dad... How he hasn't given a penalty there, I don't know. It's probably just because it's probably just because of his angle, where the referee was behind the challenge that he doesn't give that. The only thing I'd say about the ref giving the ref gave a goal kick. It's either a penalty or a corner. I said the same it, thing. It, it can't be. It can't be a goal kick. There's absolutely no. The only Danny Murphy on on match of the day did say that he thought that Hughes was going down by the time that. Chambers caught him, and that's the only thing also, I can one, imagine. Also, one thing is if you if you look from where the referee that was it Atkinson who's yeah. referee. If you if you look where the ball diverts to the right hand side, so if you're looking from where Mark and Atkinson see in that challenge, it looks like it looks possible or plausible that Chambers has made a challenge and the ball's diverted outright. Yeah. But that's certainly not what happened. But then it should be a corner. Yeah, no, that's the yeah, mental it's, it's, thing. It's, like, it's either a corner or or a penalty. It's, it's not. It's not either though. Because there's no way Chambers somehow whacked the ball onto Hughes for them to divert out that way right. <laughs> right. I just, I just didn't understand it. I don't understand how the linesman's not seen it. Yeah, it was really weird. One thing I'd say about the refereeing kind of decisions and that is that. It always interests me that I think that Mitrovic is one of those players that just doesn't get decisions. It doesn't matter what he does. And there were a couple of moments in the first half where 
they weren't necessarily penalties as such, but at one point I remember the ball going, it was way over his head, so he was never going to get to it, but two players sandwiched him in the air. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'd feel hard done by if Fulham did that and they gave away a penalty, you know, a penalty was given against us. But at the same time, you do have to be like, ref, you're not looking after, you know, you, at, Mitrovic's reputation goes ahead of him in terms of people are like, oh, he's strong, so... He therefore is is Shouldn't fouling be falling people. Over. Whatever. He's also like he's strong, so he's therefore fouling people, mm. which is not the case a lot of the time. And a lot of time he gets he, he gets the ball to chest and he backs into players and the ref gives a foul the other way. And I think it doesn't get replicated in the way that he gets decisions for and against him. In that he gets them more away from his favour than for his favour. And I think the, 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 the sort of danger with that as well is in a different type of game where he's frustrated and things aren't going his way, you can see that old classic Mitro come out. We've thankfully, touch wood, not seen it, not seen the beast, but it could happen if, it, if it's the right game. Well, you can see that frustration in his celebration of the goal mm. because the way he absolutely lost it, like kind of grabbed Vieto and was just like proper into the stand, like screaming. You know, you could see like the kind of frustration in him come out at that point he's been like oh, I've not got anything at all this game and the one chance I got I buried and that, yeah. that's the main thing um, second half two changes with Adoy and Ayite replacing Mawson and McDonald's and I'm happy to say this they were not the changes that I would have made but credit to Slav because I thought Drew they really, really worked. Absolutely, I would not. I would. I would have said Chambers absolutely at half time go off uh, and Adoy come on. But I would never have said Mawson. But they're looking back at the highlights. You could see that Mawson wasn't coping with Deeney. He got a yellow card as well. So I can see exactly why, in hindsight, why Slav did it. And I as well. I hadn't actually considered that. Yeah, and 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 when you do watch the game back, like Mawson did did struggle a bit. So that 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 particular change was was bang on. And Aite impressed as well when he came on. Like. I'd forgotten he was around. Yeah, I thought. I think I, I said this after City game. I actually thought he was decent when he came on at the Etihad. Like, well, well completely, we didn't do anything the entire game going forward. I thought he offered something, and I think, I think it's a weird one. It, it seems like he's more suited to the way the Premier League runs and the I Championship. Completely agree with that. It's, it's it's a really weird one. We know he's got ability. We know he's both footed, which helps when we're playing these two wide positions. And then also it moved Andre Scherler in behind Mitrich, where he looks so much more comfortable. Was finding yeah. a lot more space in more positions. And if we obviously talk about Adoy when he came on. He was bringing the ball forward, which Chambers and Mawson simply weren't doing in the first half. Maybe because we were getting pressed so hard, but in, he was bringing the ball into the half, especially if we look for the goal as well. So yep. I think that both the changes might have been surprising. I don't think I wasn't hugely surprised because a change of system was needed, and it takes something like bold like that to do that. But yeah, I think we, we the system worked so much better in the second half. I think there's something to be said for the fact that. Slav, we often criticise Slav for not having a plan B and he had a plan B and he changed it completely and it worked. I think the most important change for me was the idea that with a genuine attacking midfielder in there, someone in the mould of Scherler or someone who's a bit more languid in there in, you know, in the shape of what Kearney does for the side, the midfield three looked so much more settled. And you know, I, I, was, I thought Johansson was absolutely anonymous first half in the exact opposite way to Kev McDonald, who I thought was swarmed. Every time he got the ball, he looked like he couldn't get it out of his feet. He looked like he didn't know which pass to pick. He was getting nibbled off at all times. And I, I thought bringing him off was the right decision. But I thought that Slav would go for Johansson, who the game had just passed by to that point. But in a double pivot with Seri there, he immediately looked more comfortable. He immediately had more control of the game and was able to break up play a little bit better. And with the energy that Watford were pushing going forward and the way that Pereira and Hughes aren't natural wide players, they, they tuck inside and, and look to hit you on the kind of inside channels. It left it much more open for Steph to be able to make those kind of challenges. And in doing that and then leaving Scherler up top, we linked the play between the attack and the defence much better. Uh, and Slav changed it and kudos and credit to him because 
we often yeah we often criticise. I've said it multiple times. The only, you can't fit Sarian Kane into an effective system the, in a four three three. Of course not. But in a four two three one, they work perfectly. Yeah, no, but that's that's why I said going going into the season. If, if both these players are going to work, you need a four two three one because in the Premier League, you know, Kearney's going to be so much more effective playing off the striker. What where that leaves Sherlock and where he fits into the system, I don't know. But if you want to play our best midfield three, it's Anguissa and Seri being the double pivot with Kearney behind Mitrovic, and <laughs> with with them both in a four three three, they're both sort of isolated from deep and there's no creativity right behind Mitrovic because Mitrovic for him to be is most effective is to have players around him you, you saw in the second half why he was so much more effective because whenever he got the ball there was three or four players next to him Scherler you know I think will fit into that system wide much better when Kearney's there because Kearney always looks for the slide rule pass and that suits wingers of Scherler's kind of game because he will just look to nip in inside and I think that that's fine that's not that's not a worrying point but if Kearney's out at the weekend Aite should start and uh and Scherler should sit behind the striker. Did anyone else get a bit frustrated by Andre Scherler's decision-making? I just found it endlessly. He would shoot when it was clear there was absolutely no way to goal. It wasn't like, oh, no, take a punt there, Andre. It was literally, there's, there's three defenders in your way. He the, would the goal cross. goal does come from that, though. Sorry? The goal comes from him taking a shot when there's absolutely no shot on. And well, it maybe, bounces over and gets to Vieto. I guess, but, you know, he'll try and cross when it's clear that the fullback. He hasn't got far enough in front of in front of him. I and and sometimes he would be static, yeah, not if, not, if, not if, making if, runs. If, if we compare it to the Man City game, I'd much rather him do that than us trying to pass the ball into the back of the net. Sometimes there's even times when he, when we've when we've been when we went forward in that second half against Watford that there's no there was no sort of directness to the play. And sometimes you need that. Yes, he does it a bit too much, but I don't think it's anything to be disheartened by. I think it's actually a good thing because we've seen over the last two years that we keep trying to score the perfect goal. No one's someone is 20, 25 yards out from goal and not having a shot. And I think it's, it, yes, it's a bit repetitive, happens a bit too much, but I think it it, it, it is kind of a good thing. Yeah, I think one of the main positives in the way we've been playing in the Premier League so far is the ability of Vieto and Scherler to just drive us forward so so directly. And I know I completely agree with you. Like everybody's been saying it as well that Scherler, you know, he has a pop when he when he ne- doesn't necessarily need to or should not. It's just when there's a, you, there, I'm, I'm I'm all for have a hit, son. Mm. If you have got a sight of goal. Might as well have a go. Give the keeper a test. But sometimes Scherler is doing it when it's absolutely obvious that's just going to bounce straight off the defender that's one yard in front of you. No, no, absolutely. And that's one of the things I think you'll probably... When he settles into the season a bit more, he might, he might, uh, his decision making will no doubt improve. I mean, he's always obviously of that caliber of type of player, so I'm sure it will. But uh, yeah, that you can see exactly why Slav's not touching the front for three at the moment because uh, Vieto and Scherler are giving us an element to our game, which just uh, is one of the most exciting parts. They provide a lovely foil for each other as well because Scherler's so all action, sort of all over the place, limbs everywhere, charging into things, and Vieto's so sort of slight and and that kind of guile of thought and all of those things. I think it works quite nicely because. One, Vieto understands where Scherler's going and just drifts into the space. And I thought that while his decision-making was questionable at the weekend, Vieto's actual movement into space and the way he opens up gaps is absolutely phenomenal. And, and his pace is electric as well. Yeah, he's quick. He's really quick. Like if, there's a, if there's a stray ball going out towards the touchline and Vieto's charging towards it, you're pretty confident he's going to get there and keep it in. And quite a few chances came from that on. You know, we would just be punting it long and Vieto would inevitably beat the defender to the ball and before you know it Fulham have got another chance until the goal though his his final ball was terrible yeah. uh, and he kept making not necessarily the wrong decision they just didn't seem to come off him and, and I think that that will improve as he develops his understanding with the players around him and all those kind of things but it, it, it was one of those things where my friend texted me saying Vieto's awful 
And I was like, no, he's not. He's getting into wonderful positions. His kind of turn and his kind of guile in the middle is freeing up space for us. Uh, I thought it was, it was a really good performance. He was my man of the match. It's like having a go at the striker that keeps missing brilliant chances. When he's forming the chances himself. Yes. You're thinking, okay, yes, he needs to be tucking those away. It's really frustrating, but ultimately you're getting into the right positions. I would rather that than a striker that just isn't getting any chances at all. And, and he took his chance for Yeto because he, he somehow wriggled free of of Jan Mats. Yeah, he made Yanmat look a bit more Well, fooled, Jan, I think what Jan Mats doing here is he knows if he goes in physically, he's giving away a penalty. So he goes he go that's why he goes in relatively weakly. I think that's the only explanation for it. Yeah, of course, but also Vieta has the thought, the you know, kind no, of moment I mean, the, of the, mind the, to be able to knock it over his no, head. That's but, really clever. No, but the way Yanmat if that's outside the box, Yanmat cleans him out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so because it's in the box it that sort of means why Vieta gets through. I thought Yamat would have offered a bit more of a physical battle there. He sort of just lets him go through and then he's, and then Cabaselli's caught absolutely ball-watching. He doesn't realise where Mitrovic is, which he was doing brilliantly in the first half, to be fair to him. And he, he totally loses his man. You can see how angry he is when Mitrovic scores. Yeah. But that is a wonderful finish because that's not, that's not textbook, I don't think. No, I, mean, I think he does well. I don't think he, I think if he gets anything on it, it goes in. No, it's not like Glenn Murray against United. No, no, it's not quite that, is it? You know, he he does have to direct it in the right place. You're right, but I do think he's close enough to the goal that unless he hits it straight at keeper, it's going in. Especially if he keeps it low, the mm. keeper's gonna have no time to react to that. It fizzes in from Vieta. Yeah, I just thought it was impressive reactions more than anything from Mitrovic. No, if you, if you see the run, the run he makes off Cabaselli to get it, yes, but I think the actual finish itself, yeah, is I agree, is is good, but it's not Fairly anything simple. outstanding. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Mitro, the man again, though he's on he's on fire at the moment. He's Premier League joint top scorer with Eden Hazard, yep. unless I'm mistaken. You're correct. Uh, still the UEFA Nations League top scorer. Is a good article. With Steph to- Johansson. Oh, yes. Thank you. I'm sorry, but the goalkeeping on a free kick is, is a disgrace. Yeah, of course, but it doesn't mean that Johansson's not top, not top scorer <laughs> in the Open Nations League. But what is the goalkeeper doing? Um, but there's a art- good article on the uh, Fulhamish website today uh, about Alexander Mitrovic, isn't there, Jack? There is, yes. Uh, there's our new writer, our newest writer, George Tipper, has written an article on why Alexander Mitrovic is the most informed striker in Europe right now. I had a couple of Serbian fans next to me at the cottage on on Saturday and they were very, very excited when Mitrovic scored. Good. That's, um, that's right. Drew, Dini missed a huge chance at the end. Uh, I think I heard Jack at the pub on Saturday say that uh, Callum Chambers definitely needs to add into his Christmas card list after mm. that one. Well, it was just another it was another example of a poor performance from Callum Chambers, I think, and I don't want to... Uh, I, I hate singling out players, but so far this season he has not impressed me at all and I'm slightly concerned about him in general and I just think sometimes you should play it when it's like that um, why are we put in a lone player in ahead of some of our own that we're going to nurture ourselves and do Arsenal's job for them but anyway that's that's by the by uh, yeah it was uh, chances at both ends at the very end of the game um, and of course we could have done it as well so it was just a case one of those uh, one of those things where I think if Dini had scored and Watford had won they could have had a better um, claim to the three points than us but I don't think either side deserved to win it at the end of the day yeah Mitro hits the bar um, just at the end, is it a save? Yes, I think it was saved both times. There he gets a shot. touch. On, he gets a touch on it, but I think it might be hitting the bar anyway. Okay, mm. but it would have been quite an undeserved winner, Dom had uh, Mitro ahead of that end. Not that I would have cared one bit, but I, I don't think you can call it an undeserved win. It's not really. If you, if you, if, if you, well, cre- I mean, if you just take what we've discussed for the no, last if you, if twenty-five if you, if minutes, you, if you create the chances, you score the goals. Simple as. I think unless there's... On the balance of of play. One of my favourite things to say about football, and I say it's quite reasonably often, is that 
if there's not been a mistake, the team that wins the game is always the team that deserves to win the game. If there's not a mistake involved in the in the goals, like if if there's not like a goal given that's not given, or uh, the only thing I would say to that is that it's potentially a mistake not giving a penalty, in that maybe Possibly, that's yeah. the, maybe but that's the I don't, tip I, of the balance. I don't think it would have been undeserved. You look at the way he played in the second half. Well, if it weren't very good in the second half, and I don't know if that's because the strategy their strategy tired them out in the first half. Like you say, they pressed really high and hard. Um, and well, you, you could know. argue their strategy didn't pay off in the first half because their strategy in the first half, probably after getting the early goal, was to but get been, yeah. a second or third. Yeah, of course. But in terms of they they ran hard in the first half is what I'm saying, and, and I don't know if they were just tired in the second half or if it was just Fulham's tactics, you know, completely re- rejig them and put them on the back foot. And I think there's probably an element of both here. I think it's definitely an element of both. I think as well, it was a sort of a tale of redemption in a way for us because you not only did you have it, the, the 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 key story of the game here is Slav's uh, substitutions and also the sort of slight the change of tactics which is always nice to see us change shape and have we've always talked loads of times in the past about not even having a plan b having a plan you know a point one or whatever and we're, we're showing that we showed that on saturday at least and it and it paid dividends in the fact that we managed to come away with a point whereas at half time uh, not many of us would have predicted it really we haven't even got on to mentioning your campaign to uh, saving private brian <laughs> well, exactly. And now, uh, but you met him before the game, and he said he was fit. We've got yeah. loads of questions about Joe Brown. Oh, okay. We'll move. On. We'll move on to that then. Overall thoughts. Thought that getting a point though out of such a tough game shows for me that Fulham have grown since Palace, which was to not oversimplify a similar threat, a similar caliber of team. And I think we'd have lost that game if that was the opening game of the season. But I think ultimately, five games in, uh, we've come a long way. Yeah, I think I think there's lots to be taken from it. There are positives. In, in many ways and there were positives from Palace but I think that naivety has stopped a little bit not not totally as we say the defensive malaise is, is a real concern and something we need to be addressing you know very very quickly but at the same time we fought we scrapped we got a point we made made it happen ourselves a little bit more in the second half uh, and we came back to players that Slav trusts and that's you know, going forward, going to be something I think we see more of, and and if it means that I think Dennis Adoy's earned his spot. If if he gets put in now next week, I don't think anyone can have any complaints about that whatsoever. Dom Fulham have played three of the Premier League's top five, um, bruised but alive. I feel like after after some of the teams we've had to play. Yeah, I, I think we we haven't we haven't been amazing. We haven't been bad. I think it's just sort of where we sort of expected to be. Really, I mm. think any fan who's expecting us to be blitzing the league and possibly aiming for a top ten finish is slightly deluded in a way. Because I think in yes, you can spend a hundred million pound, but if you thought about how many first team players we had after all our loanies left, it was probably about twelve or thirteen. So the amount of players you brought in was needed, and I think. Most fans, I don't know if all of them, but I, I think you in your first season in the Premier League, yes, you've got to show a bit of ambition, but in your first it's just about staying up. Absolutely, I agree. I think 17th, we've always said, will be a great season. But I think, you know, when you look at the results we've had so far and where we're at, and then you consider that we've been trying to get our house in order at 100 miles an hour in the Premier League, I think, you know, we can't really have too many complaints. And that is, that's still the, th- the main thing to be ironed out is, you know, who are our best players? What's our best formation? What's our best system? And who are our best back four? But we're trying to do that at a pace of the whole Premier League. And it's it's impressive that we're still, we're still managing to pick up points. Well, tomorrow night, Fulham travel to Mill. The Wall. Yeah, in the Carabao Cup. We'll be discussing all of that next. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon and you're listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Don Betts. Hello, hello. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Drew Heatley. Hello. Would you like an update from the Fulhamish Fantasy Football League? 
Yeah, go on then. So, we have a new leader at the top of the leaderboard. Only one week to go, of course, until the September manager of the month is announced. MOTM. We still have the August one still hasn't got in contact. Fuming. Yeah, if you if you were the August manager of the month, get in contact. Still haven't got in contact. And we'll, send you, we'll send you a mug or something. I'm actually tempted He's not a to, mug. I'm tempted not to send it to him anymore. I'm angry about the whole thing. Anyway, we have a new leader at the top of the leaderboard. Paul Camp with his team gotta be Yakanovich. He's five points in the lead with 450 points overall. Had a good game week, got 58 points, and he's kept his number one position. Mitro's big guns by Sebastian Anderson uh, had a storming week with 73 points. He's in second. And then August's winner, Edward Roby, with Craven Cottage Pie, uh, is just seven behind on the lead, but he's dropped down into third place. Craven Cottage Pie is a weak name. Yes. Can we just it's too easy. the top name? What is it? Gotta be Yukanovich. Gotta be Yukanovich. Am I missing a pun? No, I don't think you are. I don't think so. I think it's just a name. Uh, the top Fulhamish player uh, is still Farrell Monk. He's good uh, at this. Where is he? 19th position with Hello, What's Your Name? He is Fulhamish FC manager, to be fair. Yeah, he is. With 417 points. George Singer, who uh, likes to likes to play fantasy football, he takes it very, very seriously. He has graphs and charts and everything. He's, he's not even in the top 30. He's having yeah. a mare, Singer, mate. That's not good. I don't think I'm in the top 100, so... I'm, I'm, only, not, I'm not in the top anything because I'm not in it. I'm only just in the top 1,000. Oh, no, I'm, I'm doing better than that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm having an absolute shocker. So um, that's the Fulhamish Fantasy Football League. Uh, make sure you check out um, our full time after the Watford game oh, as I'm well. Oh, to 282. Oh, wow, very good. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, make sure you check out the Fulhamish full-time recorded after the Watford game, live from the old Suffolk Punch, and also Jack Kelly's fan cams as well. You can get that on the YouTube channel. Uh, just search for Fulhamish on there. Right, uh, let's have a look at Millwall. Uh, good memories from last season's 3-0 win. We've been drawn against them in the third round of the Carabao Cup. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to progress. It's a good draw. Easy for us all to get there from uh, central London tomorrow evening. Uh, Dom, what kind of team do we expect tomorrow evening? I would like changes in the midfield and attack, but I think defence needs to stay relatively similar, especially the centre-backs and goalkeeper, because that partnership's important. And I think this is a game... Yes, it'll be nice to see 11 changes being made like we did against Exeter, but I think we need to pick our celibate partnership to progress forward and do that. So I think you should play better than Ellie Morrison and Adoy because I don't think Ream's going to be match fit yet so there's no point in playing him and then we've signed Morrison for what 20 or billion he's going to play. Adoy's probably been our next best centre-back this season and he's already sort of suited the way he plays. So I think those two have to stay but I think apart from that changes all round really. I think Brian's surely got to come in uh, so maybe put Christie on the right. I don't know what system we're going to sort of go with but I think Kamara should play because I think he really wants to prove a point this season. And I think we wasted a substitution by not bringing him on against Watford. Yeah, but who would you have not brought on? I don't, that's not the point. I thought he would, he would have actually changed the game a bit because I think we get into the point where it was just lump it to Mitrovic and see what happens. Yeah, okay. And then I think his explosiveness would have made a difference. Aite is a tough one. Do I th- I'd like to see him start, but then I do also want to see him play start against Everton and play the same system we did. So you got to think about it that way. And I I want to see more youngsters play. To be honest, I, as yes, it's good seeing our, our reserve or not reserve, but sort of second string play. But for me, I, I don't think they're that they're hugely amounts better than the likes of Matt O'Reilly. Yeah, I, I and also we talk if we try this. We're going to pursue this four-two-three-one system. Actually, it'll be interesting to play Matt O'Reilly because Matt O'Reilly has been playing in a different role in the under-23s this season. He's been playing more of the Kevin McDonaldish role. 
like play, being a lot more deeper and play, playing from there. So be interesting to see you play. I don't think he will, but I'd like to see him play. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I saw um, a couple of people who haven't been playing in the PL2 tonight. Unfortunately, Tyrese Francois, who's Sammy's dad's new mate, uh, has um, has his actually featured for the PL2 side tonight. So oh. I imagine that means that he's not going to be playing. But Harvey Elliott didn't. So Harvey Elliott will be in tomorrow's squad, which is interesting. Mm. Um, Dom, is it true that Fulham have sold more tickets for this than Millwall? Well, at Millwall. This is what I've been told. I don't know if it's necessarily true. So Fulham's police officer goes every game. I spoke to him, spoke to him on Saturday. Basically complained about his what he did at Man City, about him not doing his job. And then he, but he told us that, yeah, we sold 1,800 and they sold 1,600. I know we've definitely sold 1,800. I know, right. that, I know that for definite. So the only tickets that are available are in the outer sort of blocks at Mill. So the centre blocks have basically been sold out. But they, yeah, he said only 1,600 have been sold. I mean, in their usual cup games, they only actually have two stands open. They had the home stand and the away stand. Right. Okay. So it could be true, and it'd be quite funny because we'd be the home side. But... You'd imagine, though, that surely some tickets are going to be sold. Oh, no, I, 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 fully, I fully expect that Millwall will have more fans there than we do. But I think Fulham fans can still buy tickets on the gate as far as I'm aware. Yeah, they can. Uh, ring up a ticket office or just get one on the gate. You can get one on the gate tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, so you'd be in the outer blocks. But yeah, it should be, it should be, it should be a good day. I mean, Mill's always a decent like day or evening out. I mean... You know, so it's just go to London Bridge to get the train over to South Bermondsey. And if you're in South Bermondsey, stop and want to have a beer. Stop by the Four Pure Brewery, the tap room. Is that you where know. you'll be? I might not. I might be there at some point. We actually had a question about know. where to drink tomorrow, so you may as well answer that now. Well, London Bridge is your answer. You got you got plenty of choices here. You got the Southwark Tavern, where I always end up on a Friday or Saturday night, yeah, yeah. Up until about one in the morning. You got Cats and Jams, having a bit of currywurst. You got you got a sheaf. You got a bunch of grapes just around the corner. You got the Georgian next to the other pub. I don't know. You got, it's you got a bit chilly there for the yeah. Georgian. Hey, that's that's the thing. It's, it's a bit too chilly for the Georgian. Thomas but... Guy Club, in Guy's Hospital. Costs a pound to get in, but beers are cheap when you get in. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. There's is that the one that's opposite the the hospital? Because it's, it's underground. Oh, okay. I'm thinking it's underground it's in the hospital. Right. And the best hospital station for for the den, South Bermondsey, mate. You can Sam, walk from Bermondsey Underground. Me I and Sammy did that Bermondsey last time. Last it was year. okay, wasn't it? It took us no, about because, 15 minutes. Being, it not, being a sellout last year, I think but South Bermondsey is just going to be an easy option. And then Absolutely. you obviously get the whole walkway just down to the away end, so you don't really get lost or anything like that. And I th- yeah, and there's, yeah, the four pure breweries uh, just around the corner of South Bermondsey Station. So you fancy a nice beer, go right there. Do you imagine the Fulham fans will be segregated again, leaving the ground like we were last year? Or do you think it might be a bit more laissez-faire? I think it's, that always happens. I think the, whether there's 2,000 or 10,000, I don't want to get my head kicked in. So let's... Uh, no, I don't think you're going to get here kicked no, in No, but anyway, that's but just the way Mills ground operates. Yeah, I think okay. that's just a thing. You just you, have you to have, that, you, Well, you have the home fans coming in one way, you have the away fans coming in the next way. That is just how... The ground works. How the new den works. Okay, fair enough. Good memories from last year, of course. That... I thought you mean the one a few years ago with the famous nil-nil. I mean, that was a fantastic the, with game With the Roddy well. own goal, which I didn't see um, because I was being interrogated, but... Standard Saturday for you, Dom. Obviously. Uh, Probably correctly as well. <laughs> Good 3 0 win, though, last year. I was happy days. Such yeah. a warm evening. I lost my Fitbit that night. It was desperate. <laughs> Devastating. Oh, sh- oh, I'm so sorry for you, mate. <laughs> I was celebrating a Kevin McDonald goal and it flew off my wrist and off into the damn the, the bottom bit. I was really upset. Still tracking. Still tracking now. <laughs> mate, it would have got loads of steps while it was flying, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I, I registered the steps on my phone, but that was it. Then I never saw it again. So. Well, that's a really sad moment for you. One of the moments of the season is yeah, his yeah, Fitbit fly towards the roof of the stand. Well, if, if it didn't fly towards the roof. It flew dead forward. I'm, I'm actually quite sad. You know, there would have been something if it had landed on... You could have got arrested for that. It landed on someone's head. No, it went down into the bottom bit. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm sure it was um, a gratefully picked up by someone else. So, yeah, <laughs> that happened. That's got to be one of the most full of things that's ever been said on this podcast. My Fitbit went flying. <laughs> Did that. <laughs> How am um, I supposed to track my steps now? Millwall have one point from their past six championship games, Drew. They beat Plymouth 3-2 with two goals in the last 10 minutes that's to, not to get to this round. Uh, Plymouth have been awful this season. Well, I mean, they uh, changed most of their team for the for the Plymouth game. Do we expect them to do that tomorrow? Surely they'll be having one eye on the championship and trying to stay in the league at this rate. They, they've they got uh, both eyes in the championship. I don't expect them to be really be given this much, much thought at all. But just going back to the earlier point of wanting to put some youth in for us, I think that I'm all for giving youth a chance. I'm all for like sprinkling it in there. But I think that you know, there's 38 games in the Premier League season. We're used to playing 46. We've got a much better squad. Let's give it a go. Let's give the League Cup a go. Let's give it a chance. Let's go out there and, you know, I completely agree with Dom, uh, Bettinelli, Mawson and Adoy, and then let's build on that. But let's uh, but let's not, you know, put out no, all not, of the 16 I don't think we, don't, we, should, we can't throw it. It's a, it's a good opportunity because I think we've got enough to stay in the league so it'd be nice to have a decent yeah. cut run. But I, I just, with, with, with putting you think it's good, but only the... Right, youth players are going to fit the system we oh, play. There's no, there's no, there's no point of putting youth players in for the sake of putting youth players in. It's not like football manager, we're just trying to get, trying to get as many games, <laughs> pump their stats. But yeah, I think that yeah. team we played against Exeter, though, for me, has got plenty in it. It does to, I, I, to beat this Millwall issue, side and my, progress. My issue is there's certain players there like Johansson. Why? Pl- what is the purpose in playing Stephen Johansson when you when you can play Matt O'Reilly? Well, the purpose of playing Stefan Johansson at the time was because you wanted Steph to have some match experience in case we needed him, like we have in the past couple yeah, of games. Yeah, I just, I just didn't. I just would rather, I'd rather have seen Matt O'Reilly get 70, 70 odd minutes, because for me, but it's, Matt O'Reilly is not going to play in the Prem. Yeah, but for me, yeah, but if these, to put, these players need to play first team football at, at some point, and these are the games for it. I don't. It's futile to play Johansson for me in a League Cup game because I don't think I, he's going to play Johansson, though, is he? Cause I don't think. I don't think he should because I, th- I think Matt O'Reilly should play because he's one of our most if not our most promising youth prospect in the academy, why is there no? What reason is there to not play him? Everyone has a go at the at other teams not playing the, their their youngsters, and then they don't want to do it themselves. Okay, so let's play everyone then. Stephen Stess should start. You know, Marlon Fossey should start. Matt well, O'Reilly well, should I'm, start. I'm, 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 I'm let's not... just play the PL two side. But why? Because that gives us a chance. That gives Millwall a chance of potentially winning, and therefore this whole thing about the fact we should show the Carabao Cup some love. Well, no, I think okay, okay, so let's point. find the middle ground here, then, no, right? The, the and point, that's what we're going to do. I was just playing devil's advocate. No, no, the point is playing the youth players who are worth playing, not just. So, Stephen Sestron and Matt O'Reilly, two of probably the most promising youth prospects in the entire academy, the sh- for me, should be getting game time here. And, and, and St- uh, Stephen Sestron will definitely get game time. I, Matt O'Reilly could well be in the squad, right? Because he's not playing tonight. Yeah, he's not, he's no, not, he's not, he's not in the squad. Yeah, so Harvey he's, he's going to be in there. Delatore will be in there. We'll have that sprinkling of youth, but let's just. Let's not make any bones about it. I think this is one of our best chances to get silverware. No, 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 it is. I'm not. It. I'm not saying playing entire youth squad, but I think two youth players out of eleven players is not going to be. It's not really a problem. They're not going to get minutes in the Premier League. Why can't we play them through? Yeah, in, in the League Cup. It's balance. not like playing an empty crowd like we do in the Checker Trade Trophy. Kamara is probably pretty much a youth player. Yeah, Young I guess. Hey, you got you got eighteen hundred, eighteen hundred, two thousand Fulham fans going. They're going to be cheering them on. That's what. That's an experience they're going. They'll they'll, they'll want to see. You, you saw Matt O'Reilly against when. We, yes, I know we lost to Bristol last year, but he was our best player on the pitch. So I don't see there's a reason to not play him. Stephen Session, I'd li- I'd like to see him play. Thomas Christie's had game time this season, so I don't see a reason why you can't yeah. put Stephen Session in. Then after that, yes, then you put the fringe players. And I think just a couple of youth players would be nice to see. I don't. I just don't see the point in playing yeah. the like Cyrus Christie and Hanson when you can give Stephen. Session 
session and Matt O'Reilly game time. You just don't like Cyrus Christie and Steffi Hansen because Cyrus Christie's Irish and Steffi Hansen came from Celtic. Yes, but that's not. <laughs> yes, but I'd also like to see all your players play. I just, Rumbled. I think. I, I, <laughs> it's not hard. Like pick the players that Dom doesn't like. The Irishman and the fella from Celtic. Wow, what a shock. No, I think I just I just think everyone complains that oh English youth players don't get enough chance and then we don't give them the chance ourselves. I think it's just a bit, you could sort of bit contradictory. Before this turns into the podcast version of the old firm, let's get on to the questions. Well, we're playing the, we're playing the main firm, Millwall tomorrow. So. Yeah, exactly, the big firm. <laughs> right, we've got plenty of questions this week, so thank you everyone that has replied to us. White noise has come through with the questions, so it's always 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 first. Watford was Ryan Sessegnon's 60th consecutive game for Fulham in the league. The last game he didn't play was in the playoff semi-final first leg against Reading on the 13th of May 2017. Can you see him playing at every game this season and all at left back? I think... A good stat, I th- yeah, no, I think he shouldn't, have, he shouldn't be playing any minutes tomorrow night. No, I, I I would hope that tomorrow. I would hope tomorrow, uh, Ryan. I think this play. is just in the league, though. I can't imagine he played every single. No, no. I, th- well. I also oh, thought. No, I'm just saying he, he, should, he shouldn't be playing any minutes tomorrow. Played against Southampton. I know yeah. that much. It needs to be. It needs to be rested. I think FA Cup's definitely different to League Cup. I think but. we touched on it though earlier that you know Cess needs to get. I think it was last week. We Cess, you know, needs to play in the Premier League and get his and and get minutes and get experience. And whether that's at left back or whether that's uh, you know further up the pitch, it, it, he's a competent fullback. So, although we don't like him there, and it's certainly not his best position to get me wrong, I don't want to sort of advocate him playing there. You know, I think he needs to he needs to play and get that experience. And Slav sees him as a left sided player. Like we see him as a forward player, and, and we've made that pretty clear. But I think I think Slav sees. Him I also much more versatile I also do player. think in the new system, Sess might be more effective in a forward more forward position because I think in 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 and around in a four two three one system, he's going to be a lot closer to Mitrovic and getting. A, getting more, possibly more of a chance he got last season. I think it would be nice to see how he fits in that because it's a lot different to the 4-3-3 because he's then got that the number 10. But I thought he played him. so well as the left forward better than he did as a left winger in a 4-2-3-1. I thought he was better in the 4-3-3 than the 4-2-3-1. I think the, four, it, the thing is that last year, because we had so much control of midfields, the wide players could tuck in and that was where we got, and especially with the amount of rampaging fullback we had. You know, there was enough space that the the wingers didn't actually play as natural wingers, and in a four two three one, you're a little bit narrower, which should theoretically bring well, success. Yeah, for me, I think the way we played it is go- it would work because obviously you got sh- you'd have I I don't even know if Cesc would play on the left in that formation. Yeah, I don't. Know you, you, you could see him. Right. You could see him playing possibly on the right hand side with Scherler and Cesson on both sort of coming in centrally. But yeah, I don't think he should play minutes. I think. He he does need a rest. He does really need a rest sometimes because if you think about it, in the summer, in between, he also played in the uh, what was it under nineteen? Yeah, he played in the. I don't think he does need a rest. I think this is the right strategy. Uh, maybe not staff. a rest, but I don't. I, I definitely think it's it's beneficial for him not to start. I every think game. we're introducing him to this league like he was introduced to the championship, playing semi regularly at left back, and as he grows and develops into this team and into this system, he can push forward. Later on, I just don't see him getting ahead of Vieto at the moment, and therefore, if he doesn't play at left back, he won't get any minutes. But we know that he's a huge talent, and he just needs some game time in order to grow into this league. He's also, in a way, kind of been sandwiched in that position, in a yeah. way, in, to an extent, because well, Joe Bryan's basically Rafa Suarez part two. Well, let's let's get on to this because we've got loads of questions about Joe Bryan. Everyone, you know, what's he done wrong? Why? Yeah, you know, Louis says, what have Joe Bryan done wrong? Why? Why is he not playing? A lot of people asking these questions. 
you know, what has Joe Bryan done? Drew, you're the man yeah. on the scene. You Drew spoke to him. You spoke to him on the got weekend. Got the exclusive scoop. Yeah, got Chat. the scoop for the boys. Chat to my boy. Uh, no, basically, uh, obviously, as I said on the Insta story, if you haven't seen it, go check it out on Instagram page. Uh, he wasn't injured and he didn't have much more to say than that. He was very curt about it. Uh, but to be fair, it was a nice chat post for selfie. But he's... Slava said he's going to get his minutes. He's, uh, he's what did he say? He said something like, you know, he's a, he's a good lad and he's trying 100% in training. He will get his minutes this season. So I don't think there's any conspiracy. I don't think there's any sort of big uh, issue here. I hope I'd, I'd like to think he's not uh, Schwarz part two. Um, I think he's just getting eased in, like I said last week, to the to the league. And uh, you know, I think as I said earlier, Slav sees Sess as that that left sided player. He's not con- he's not completely bothered at this point. Uh, worried about sort of getting Brian all the way in he's, he's easing him in that's basically all it is as far as I'm concerned I, I, I thought Brian would have been really effective against Watford because the way, the way we were yeah. playing yeah. the way the amount of balls we were trying to whip into Mitrovic and then the other three to play off Joe Brian is one of the only players in our team who can actually cross the ball so I think it, it would have been helpful to play but he's clearly there's clearly something he's kind of not up to speed of the Premier League or Slav doesn't see him fitting in but it's just odd that he wasn't even on the bench and he was just sort of standing outside the cottage gates half an hour before kickoff. I have a theory about this though because obviously Le Marchand can play centre-back and left-back and Adoy can play right-back, left-back and centre-back. It doesn't necessarily make that much sense to therefore have another natural left-back on the bench if you know, if you know what I mean. Adoy can cover that but there's two that can cover left-back Two that can cover right back and two that can cover centre back with Christie on the bench, and Christie can play further forward if needed to. So it, it's kind of just like on your bench, you want utility players a lot of the time so that you can fill in gaps if gaps appear. Uh, I think that's probably he's just almost a victim of circumstance more so than anything else. So you think basically case. if Joe Bryan isn't starting, he won't be in the squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think, that. and I think as well in ten games time, if he's not if he's not played half of those games in the league 10 Premier League games time I'll be quite surprised let's I think re-judge, re-judge the Joe Bryan situation in half a dozen games time if he still hasn't played then there's clearly something wrong and then and maybe these conspiracy theories have, have some legs theory. to them but I think at the moment he hasn't played in a couple of consecutive games the Man City one was a bit of a red herring and, and Slavs clearly just doesn't know what his best back four is at the moment so I think we can give him some time but I'm a little bit worried it could become a Rafa Schwarz and my worry I wanted to see your thoughts on this because he was a late signing on deadline day and almost so I kind of wonder if he was bought because of circumstance because he was suddenly available and it could he be a signing that Slav doesn't like well you know you say that and and there's obviously some sort of fruit to it but like Drew just said if Slav felt the need to come out and say positive words about him and say those kind of things that suggests that there is no problem. You know, he never did that with Suarez. He, he made a point of actually when people asked questions, he was just like, we have who we have. <laughs> or he came back with, you know, very vague, non-committal answers. So for him, for Slav to come out and say that Brian is part of the squad and is working hard and he will get minutes, I think suggests that maybe that's not the case. Okay. He's not one to blow smoke up anyone. Yeah, he? exactly. It doesn't It doesn't seem particularly Slav to say things for the sake of saying them almost. No, I can vouch for that. Right, let's take a couple on Tim Ream. We've got loads. David Gadd, is Tim Ream the answer to our defensive problem? James Peters, with Ream coming back soon, who else will play with him? You know, you know. how do we look at this, I suppose? More, more in general, is Tim Ream going to walk back into this side? We kind of touched on it a little bit last week, but he is the he is uh, sort of that beacon, that glue, 
who that can sort of build this cohesion that we've said so much about. I think for that for that reason, as well as his obvious football ability, he's a blooming play, player of the year. He we will welcome him back with open arms. The the phrase, you know, will somebody walk into a side? You know, I don't think anybody anybody in any Premier League side will walk into a side. But I think will he come back in? I think he will for for so many different positive reasons more than just his ability. But the problem with Tim Ream coming back is all well and good, but we still who plays with Tim Ream because we have a plethora of left-sided centre-backs. We've Alfie Mawson, we've got Callum Chambers, we've got Tim Ream, we've got Lamar Sean, and really we only have Dennis Adoy, who seems comfortable playing on the right side. We saw Alfie Mawson look really, really uncomfortable on the right-hand side. You would probably argue that Tim Ream and Alfie Mawson are our strongest centre-back pairing, but can they work as a pairing together? Because can Alfie adjust to being on the other side? Because I can't, can't see Tim Ream being able to go over to the right-hand side of defence. There's a point, but I think there is, you know, scope for Mawson to be more effective alongside a different partner. You know, it was it's Chambers that got a lot of the stick on on Saturday and, and not necessarily, you know, that might not be fair in all fairness. I thought Chambers improved second half and although he did nearly gift Troy Deeney a goal, you know, he was better. But, you know, it's hard to comment on Mawson's performance after 45 minutes if he played the whole game then maybe we'd be slating him but he got booked he got hooked and that's the kind of that's the all of it and I, I expect him fully to be starting again on Saturday yeah Alfie Mawson and he's a young he's a young player he's a talented player can he switch from left to right side of central defence you'd have to back him to do that otherwise what you know what what what's the point? I think I think he absolutely should be able to do it. When he came in, he said, "Look, I'm here to do the dirty work." And if some of that dirty work means, you know, training yourself to play on the other side of the centre back pairing, then I'm sure he can do that. Part of the of the problem in defence for me on Saturday was I felt that neither Mawson nor Chambers had the ability to bring the ball out of defence. They were just looking to offload, try and hit one of the fullbacks or try and find Seri or McDonald in the middle. It made it very easy for the Watford attackers to press because there was only one thing they were going to do, which was pass. And the beauty of when you brought Dennis Adoy on is there was some uncertainty for the attackers who were pressing because you couldn't just block, you couldn't just mark the other players that were potential passing options because then Dennis might gallivant forward and he might do a run that would break towards the halfway line. I didn't think either Mawson or Chambers had that ability to break out of defence and carry the ball. Maybe not, but if you have someone... Alongside... That's why hopefully Ream might work with a Mawson well, that's or Chambers. I mean. it, like, if it's Mawson and Adoy, then Adoy has that ability and Mawson then does the, like you say, the dirty work behind yeah. him. So, yes, Chambers and Mawson might, on paper... Be you know look like a strong partnership because of their relationship because of what they do, but actually in, in the system it doesn't it hasn't worked. Yes, Mawson and Chambers su- might work for another team. Yeah, yeah. I'm it's also sure. quite surprising that Chambers can't, because then he's played fullback multiple times. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But he's a different type of fullback. Yeah, you know, I get, they're, I get, they're obviously. I think yeah, as you say, yes, Mawson and Chambers may have played together before, but then they're playing in a totally different way to what House Lavisa likes it. And I think you, I do it at the moment for me as as, as much as I criticised him so much uh, quite a few times this season, just like oh he shouldn't be playing it was just about good enough for the championship if he's only if he's going to be fit the system best we've, we've spoken about this many times you want square pegs and square holes whereas with Mawson and Chambers it's not quite round round pegs and square holes but it's I think you need that player who can bring the ball out from the back and then start the play that way I think if you have Odoi then as you said Mawson then great because Mawson can do obviously all the dirty work and I think 
Reem when he comes when he's Reem should only come back when he is 100 fit. He can't be rushed back because he's not just come from like a hamstring injury. He's come from come from a back injury. That's why it is... might be helpful to get Rat to the next round of the Carabao Cup, and therefore there will be a timely game for Reem to come back in if that suits the time frame of his injury. Because you assume tomorrow against Millwall is probably too soon. Yeah, I think it will be. And you're right. I think that that might be the way that it works out. We got a question in from Prolific at the Prolific One on Twitter. Uh, it was a long question where he, he sort of asked lots of different things, but I think the point that I want to get to on it is he says, Angisa, get the ball off your foot. This is the EPL, not League One, which does not press up as aggressively, and he thinks he needs a lot of work, could feature in the cup runs heavily and on the bench with injuries until he adapts to the English game. I think that's an interesting point, but not necessarily one I agree with because I thought Angisa's come on and changed the game in both his games, but he did lose the ball. The first thing he did and nearly let Watford in, and we've seen a couple of times him, you know, take a little bit too long and get robbed of the ball. Is Slav introducing him slowly for a reason? I suppose is the kind of overarching point. I think point it's here. not necessarily. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with his technical ability or his, phys- his physical ability. But yes, you are, especially when a team like Marseille he isn't. He isn't if he if he came from like a, a Rennes or a Lorient, then maybe it'd be different. But he's come from a team who are a top team in France, who who the players, who teams are going to sit back against him. So he's going to have less, and and he's the holding midfielder. He's not like he's the number ten or anything. So I think there is that argument. But I also every Watford fan I spoke to thought he changed the game. Yeah. He did at that moment where he did lose the ball, I thought was just was brilliant. He controlled a pass that he had no right to control. It's absolutely beautiful touch. Took it down and the whole stadium was purring. And I think Anguisa was almost going, yeah, look at me, look what I just did. And then just got robbed two seconds later and then so nearly ended up in a goal. I just thought it was actually quite a comical he moment. He picks the ball out of the air absolutely wonderfully. And actually Pereira did that a couple of times in, in the game. Just sort of the way he took the ball down from sort of positions that it looked like it was going to out. But Anguisa seems to have that stretch where he can just sort of bring the ball in sort of the kind of gravity almost to, to pull the ball back to him. And I think that's something he offers. I thought he, I thought he looked really positive on Saturday. I thought he was so bright and I thought he really added some stability. And for me, there was no doubt that Fulham were going to equalise in the last half an hour of that game. We looked so on top and I think bringing on Anguisa was instrumental to that we looked so much more stable and yes Watford tired and that was part of the reason but I honestly thought that Anguisa gave us so much balance and that was instrumental to us getting back in the game I don't know if you feel the same way Drew well yeah you talk about that stability uh I uh, just saw a tweet earlier that I retweeted from our resident statistician uh, Nick McNee in 25 minutes plus extra time uh Anguisa had six defensive actions which is interceptions tackles and aerial duels one uh Kevin McDonald and Stefan Johansson had the same amount in the combined 110 minutes so he added he definitely did add that and uh, he definitely was part of those game changing substitutions Two more, and then we'll call it a day. One's a quick one. JTG, or Guadzilla, says, what exactly is Mitrovic's goal celebration? Uh, it's it's, it's, it's from Oh no, Does anyone want to tell us it's actually from? Luca Tony, mate. Correct. Correct. Hellas Verona legend. It's the loco. It's the it's the kind of, oh, I'm crazy, am I? Which yeah. Luca Tony used to do, and then Kamara did. And then... <sighs> Yeah, so oh, no, no, did anyone think Diamante Kamara was crazy? I thought he was quite a uh, grounded. No, I think, I think no, there was, no. he had a reputation of being an absolute nut job. Did he? Yeah, yeah. When he signed for really. Football. He always seemed quite down to earth from what I saw. But... No, he signed from Luca Tony because he brought it back when he started banging in goals for Hellas Verona yeah, the last yeah. few years. 
It was a, a long shot, but yeah, that's uh, so. That's that one. I'm glad we can actually. I'm answer never not going to get an Italian. Well, that's that it's one. nice yeah. that we can answer no, a question really. rather than just debate it. No. Mm. I always get the Italian football questions right, mate. Well, okay, mate. Yeah, of course you do. Um, Call him had... James Richardson. Yeah, exactly. I'm more James Horncastle. Right, this last one is from Rob French. I quite like this. Um, took away from it a little bit. He Tank says, "Forget French. the football. What's happened to the half-time entertainment at the cottage? No, not a beat the keeper or crossbar challenge in sight." Oh yeah, because we love we uh, we love seeing those seven year olds like smack it against Billy the Badger who can't he, he saves them anyway. My favorite. It's gone down whoever since Don Betts. Yeah, was I was going to say drunk drunk eighteen year olds, you know, wrapped up, blindfolded. <laughs> I, was, I think I was twenty one at the time, actually, or twenty. <laughs> to be fair, I did uh, bubble football at the cottage did in you? our relegation season. Yeah, yeah, and uh, set up the uh, winning goal, which got me a signed Fulham shirt. Uh, not signed one; it was a free one, but I can't wear it because it's the relegation shirt. And yeah, get a bit snug. I think this is a fair point. I don't really watch the halftime entertainment because I'm usually outside of the ground. But for those of you that do stay in, that's... Oh, I quite like having the players come back on the pitch. I thought having Clinton was quite quite well, enjoyable. Now they've sorted out the Saturday. mic levels. So yeah, I actually could right. hear Clinton. Yeah. Yeah. That's because he's used to being on the mic, isn't he? Yeah. He's used to being on the mic. Yeah, Clinton Dempsey was on for five minutes. What did you do for the rest of halftime? That's very true. Oh, have a beer. No, sit, I know what you and I were doing. Have a pie? <laughs> yeah. Stare at your phone and curse the lack of 4G in the cottage. Chance my dad. I don't know why. Why do we need? I don't go there for halftime entertainment. It's not no, the Super I Bowl. That, I, I think that's a reasonable point. Well, bring back the Cravenets. Yeah, bring back the Cravenets. The last thing I would do is bring back the Cravenets. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that'd be low down we'll my list. The shit ones we get from the Jaguars once a year. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> I, I like that one. We had to try and get the ball through the hoop on the line. Yeah, that was a good one. That was actually difficult. Fair enough. Jack, can you name the podcast, please? Yeah, I'm going to use something I mentioned in the three-word reviews but didn't give sufficient credit. I'm giving the credit now. David Kettlehake was Deja Vu Defence. I'm also not having that being a name. Yeah, it is. That's a great name. Kettlehake. Oh, right. I thought you meant the the podcast. podcast. (laughs) No, no, it's even worse. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm going to... Worryingly, I knew what Dom meant. I'm going to shift it around. Defensive Deja Vu. Defensive Deja Vu. But it is David's. If only they acted like... I I don't think that's the first time David's got a pod name, you know. No, I don't think it is either. I also remember after we gave him the pod name last time, he emailed to credit us for getting his name right because it's regularly mispronounced. I don't understand how. How? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Kettle Hake? If you want to try and be... Kettle hack? I don't know. But anyway. Uh, if you're getting that wrong, you don't deserve to be on any sort of national radio. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you to David uh, for naming the pod today. Right, Fulhamish Extra. Well, it won't be technically a Fulhamish Extra because we'll be looking back at the Millwall game. Fulhamish will be back on Thursday morning looking back at Tuesday's Carabao Cup game against Millwall, which hopefully Drew Heatley uh, and the rest of the Fulham team will show some love. Oh, absolutely. We all going. We all going. I'll be there. Yeah. Got tickets. I'm not. I'm working. Ah, but I will be watching it. Johnny, come lately. Or <laughs> yeah, 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 Premier League come. No, yeah. Now I'm at the now. Now the Premier League's come. I'm at less games. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, we'll be looking back at the Millwall game and then eagerly anticipating our trip to Goodison Park, which I will be at. Nil Point Park. I just can't be asked. <laughs> Sammy and I are on the earliest train possible out of London. So yeah, Jack be, is really upset about we're the gonna whole be in, thing. We're going to be in Liverpool for about nine hours. Five past eight train from oh. Houston. <laughs> All I my I, decision I as well. I feel like that's the one I'm on to get there for the midday kickoff against Liverpool yeah. on the Sunday. You might well be on that one, mate. mate we're going to the right. Beatles Museum, Liverpool one. We're doing the whole, we're doing the whole shebang. Oh, Ferry across the Mersey. It's, 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 it's a shame there's not, it's not a 5.30 kickoff because there's a tequila bar in Liverpool, which basically it's like one or really cheap shots until the first goal in the 3 p.m. to school. 
Right, well, that's, it's always good to know that. Let's find that one. Well, no, not if, it's not if we can't get it for the 3pm. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, thank you very much to all my guests today. Thank you to Drew Heatley. Thank you very much. Thanks, Don Betts. All right. Thanks, Jack Collins. Thank you, Sammy. Fulhamish Extra will be back on Thursday. Have a good week. Enjoy Millwall tomorrow. We'll see you soon. Later. Bye. Bye.